Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Nick. Uh, this episode of the St. Paul Filmcast is dedicated to the field of, the study of science. Welcome to another episode of the St. Paul Filmcast. Today we have a unique um, episode for you. Uh, a while back, um, my friend Chris and I um, uh, were entertaining an idea of him possibly coming on. He is the host of a Dash of Science podcast, and we're trying to get him to come on this particular podcast. I've had him on other podcasts as well. Uh, previously, he was on the Nick and Vince podcast as a guest, but we were trying to some way that he can come on here and we can talk about a, a critique of movie. And um, it still happened. He was on his podcast, Dash of Science. He's going on a, a very uh, diligent, thorough um, investigation of the life of Nicholas Tesla. And it just so with his uh, idea that we said, why don't we select the movie The Prestige to review and discuss and maybe give a scientific explanation to the movie. Um, if you have not seen The Prestige, I recommend you to stop the episode right now and watch it because um, definitely we're going to reveal some spoilers. Uh, we're going to go into depth uh, in depth of some of the events that take place. And even if you haven't seen it, it would seem very confusing to you, and especially if you haven't seen the, uh, the movie. Um, it's highly recommended. It's directed by Christopher Nolan. Dan and I, in the future, will go through another Christopher Nolan movie. We haven't decided which one yet, um, but we'll definitely in the future talk about another Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, with The Prestige, it comes right after Nolan has done Batman Begins. Um, if you're not um, all that familiar with Nolan's work, a lot of geeky people are simply because he's done Batman movies. Uh, he, in the uh, early, late 90s, came out with a small black and white independent movie called The Following. I think a lot of Nolan fans have no idea about this movie. It's when I first encountered Nolan, even prior to Memento. It's a movie that I think you really need to have sat down and review, especially if you think you're a Nolan fan. I've come across many people who say they're a fan of his works, have no idea of this movie. And I think it's a grave injustice to think if you're a fan of somebody and you've never seen his first, real first movie, an independent small movie called The Following. Now, The Prestige came out in 2006, and it... Um, Seceded after it came out after another movie about magicians called The Illusionist came, Illusionist with Ed Norton, Paul Giamatti, and it was getting quite good reviews. In fact, I think it has a very much a positive outlook even now. And The Prestige came after, and I would critiquing this movie, give it that a lot of the low ratings of this movie is particularly that had compete with a movie already talking about rival magicians. It's very weird that when you look at um, movies that sometimes we get two movies that are came out at the same time that have kind of similar taste and story, um, but Prestige really doesn't focus so much as mysticism it's a even though there is some mysticism involved it's a really relatively grounded movie which the purpose of is when it goes into the mysticism the supernatural it gets a very heightened awareness to the film Edgar is a, a grave importance to the film rather than constantly featuring supernatural time that you become immune to it and that's what the whole point of the movie was. Is it plausible? And if it is, the consequences of it. Um, I would think people think this theme of the movie is obsession, rivalry, bitterness, competition. But I see it as a form of consequence. When you completely surrender your life to your art, there are some dire consequences 
to doing so. When you give up your whole who you are simply to do a magic trick, that's from dire consequences. And you could be successful at it, but what are in sense are you losing? The procedure is a terminology in magicians. It's simply the third part of the act. It's relatively explained in the book. Um, that's not entirely true for all magic tricks. That's simple terminology when you're doing magic. And the prestige is something that the final stage that you're supposed to impress. One of the best things about this movie is simply the daring that uh, Christopher Nolan and his brother Jonathan Nolan, who wrote the screenplay for this, is simply saying, are you paying attention throughout the movie? Because if you are, just like a magic trick, you should be able to grasp the, the, or not be so surprised of the events happening. In fact, the first thing we hear from the movie is, are you watching closely? And about a couple of minutes in the movie, Christian Bale even dares his uh, little boy, are you watching closely? Movies, in a sense, are magic shows. It's the illusion of what's happening. And there is some kind of marriage involved with movie making as well as performing magic. In fact, one of the first filmmakers was George Millay. He was a famous magician, and he made a short film called Man on the Moon. And he was the first successful, one of the first successful filmmakers. And people always use that image of the man on the moon, the, the man whose face is all pied up, and then they launch a balloon up to the moon. If you can look for it, um, George Millay's Milano was one of the first. So there's always been some kind of marriage with movie making and magic. And we'll definitely have uh, Chris up here give a kind of a nice scientific explanation. And I kind of give my theme review, film review of the movie here after these few messages. Hi, I'm Carla. And I'm Michael. And we're Go Postal Podcast. We're the podcast that tells you stories about what people have done while drunk while also giving you some facts about boobs, booze, and the bazaar in the places where these stories take place. We also have a weekly contest where you tell us where the F I am. So join us for some drinking, learning, and laughing. You can listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Find us online at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at GoPostalPodcast, and send us your drunk ramblings and anecdotes. You can also email your stories to GoPostalPodcast at gmail.com. Alfie Zane. Ciao! Hello, everybody. This is Jason. And Aaron. And we are the hosts of the For Better or Worse podcast. Like most couples, we have pretty different tastes. There's a lot of things we agree on, of course, but it can be pretty difficult to find something to watch at the end of the day. She likes comedies, love stories, and dramas. And he likes anime, horror, sci-fi, and fantasy. So we both thought it would be fun to force each other to watch our favorite movies, shows, or anything else we can think of and record it here for you guys. The show is a lot of fun and it's not always torture. Sometimes we actually come around to each other's side. We would love for you guys to give us a shot. So download For Better or Worse anywhere you listen to your favorite shows and join us in the fun. We can't wait to share our experiences with you. All right, we are back on the St. Paul Filmcast, and I have a guest. Uh, his name is Chris. He does his own podcast. He's on the Dash of Science podcast, and we came on to talk about a film that features one of his, um, well, is it one of your favorites or just most interesting scientists? It's definitely, uh, it's both interesting and, and probably one of my favorites, too. Uh, I feel like not a lot of people know the actual background for uh, for Nikola Tesla, as we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, a lot of people know the the kind of the conspiracy side or, you know, Tesla coils. Everybody knows about those cool things. But nobody really else seems to know much about them because you don't hear a lot about them in school, right? So. Right. And I think we have to give them a, a thank you because we won't be able to do this podcast without them, right? We can't, we're Absolutely. No, no yeah. electri- <laughs> sending messages on electronic electromagnetic waves We couldn't without his help, right? We couldn't do this podcast without him. 
Well, and you were nice enough to, let's, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the movie, but um, before we talk about the movie Prestige, which is a dominant feature of Tesla, um, mm-hmm. just give it a little bit, you're going on this Tesla campaign. You want to just talk about it a little bit before uh, we get started? Uh, sure. So on my own show, Dash Science, I figured that every once in a while I would do kind of a little biopic about maybe the more obscure scientists and engineers throughout history that people don't know a lot about. And so for the first one, like I said, my favorite, uh, Nikola Tesla. Yeah. So I kind of did a, a three part uh, history of his life because he's, he's a really interesting guy. Uh, very much into creation and innovation and very much not into commercialization. Uh, he essentially, you know, he got kind of screwed out of uh, almost five Nobel Prizes. He ended up dying poor, broken, alone, no pri- no Nobels. Right. And for somebody who has contributed so much to, like, everything that that we have today, that's kind of a shame. So I wanted to get that word out there, basically. So, excuse my ignorance, and he's more of of uh, alternate current, right? Yeah, AC. AC. So the big Edison versus Tesla, you know, some people have heard of that. Tes- yep. uh, Edison was, you know, direct current. And uh, Tesla advocated for AC, which at the time uh, was a crazy idea. You know, right. everybody thought it was ridiculous and dangerous. So uh, it was the way to go, though. And, and he did prove that. And luckily, he at least got credit for that. Much. A little bit that's of credit, a, right? Yes. Yeah, that's a major contribution to society there. Um, before we get to Prestige, uh, when did you see the movie? Um, well, the very first time I saw the movie probably had to be... Uh, it was shortly after it came out. I can't remember the year, uh, but I remember there was a like the there was another movie that was very similar. I think it was called The Illusionist. I don't know if you remember that one. Very it much came so. Out yes, right yeah. about the same time. And so I watched both of them. I liked Prestige a lot better. Uh, and then so I had to go back and I watched it again here about a week ago, just because I mean the whole thing with Nikola Tesla. I remembered he was part of that movie, so I went back and watched it, and and that gave me the idea of you know maybe trying to talk about that some so if yeah if you remember i think it was came out in 2007 and the i think it got a lot of of course it got a lot of publicity but all the positive reviews came for the illusionist everybody's pumping this movie Mm -hmm. and this was kind of not really it's getting acknowledgement but it was such a sweeping people were actually talking about the illusionist more than prestige if you remember that and, I do, yeah. Yeah, and then we're like, oh, I don't want to see another movie about magicians. And I think that was, <laughs> I think it's one of those things we get to, you know, right at the same time we get the same kind of movie. But I think people went to see The Illusionist first, and then it kind of dampens the rate the ratings of this movie simply because of the rivalry of the two different movies. No, I agree with that, and yeah. I think you know, with it coming out is exactly like you said. It's a very similar topic. They feel like. You know, I don't know if you ever go and you'll see, you know, you used to go to the movie stores and you'd look at movies that were uh, for rent in the new shelf and you'd see movies that, that came out in other countries that were essentially the exact same movie as something <laughs> yes. that we've seen, you know, recently here. And yeah. I feel like it had that vibe. So I think yeah. you're right. That had a lot of effect on how it was received initially. Can you do a magic trick? Can I do a magic trick? No, no, I cannot. <laughs> uh, I tried one time when I was uh, young and, and a teenager, and uh, I thought magic was cool. And I tried to do a magic trick in front of a bunch of people, and it failed miserably. And I was embarrassed. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Magic's not for me. <laughs> well, I don't know if you. I've, I've actually attended. It's called the Magic Castle. You ever been in there in California? I've heard of it, but I have not yet been. Well, you have to be invited. You have to know somebody to know somebody to get in. Oh, really? I yeah, didn't know that. It's it's not open to the public. You have to get, you know, it's just, you have to navigate yourself. And I was happily, happily to find somebody that can give us tickets to go into the Magic Castle for a night. And you get dinner. You have to dress up, formal. Right. Very formal. They will not let you in. And you get to sit down in very weird environment of castle and you see these magicians do their magic act in front of you for free. I mean, you paid your mm-hmm. ticket, but it's very weird because they said um, even there's so many secrets inside the castle that very few magicians even know all the secrets of the castles, of really? secret rooms, secret compartments, and everything. And we our tour guide said there's about a, over over a hundred different areas there are secrets that some magicians don't even know about that you go but it's really weird to see good magic in front of you that you know it's not real right but your brain just fills in the whole we got to be kidding me you know the whole aura Mm -hmm. right yeah 
I mean, I think that's really that's the the trick behind good magic is everybody for the most part. I mean, I can't say everybody, everybody, but most people go in, you know, that this isn't real. And yet it's in front of you and you can't figure it out. And that's part of the uh, the joy, I think, behind it is is trying to figure it out in your head, but not really trying too hard, you know, because you're just kind of enjoying it. Right. Right. Yeah. And I I listened to an episode of uh, Penn and Teller. They did one of their talks or whatever they're being interviewed and they said they wanted to be magicians that impressed other magicians so simply there are magicians that everybody does those tricks and everyone knows how to do them they're just pleasing the masses but you know like this movie there are some people that can impress other magicians and that was really a goal for them Mm because when you get a magician come up and go how'd you do that that's pretty right. like, right, that's the goal. <laughs> that's right? where you know you got a good trick right there, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. You know, and I kind of found it interesting, too. Uh, I, I felt like, let's see, the timeline of this movie was late uh, 1800s. I think uh, 1899, yeah. I know, is when Tesla was in Colorado Springs, and it was kind of, I think it started a little before that. But I kind of yeah. got the feeling that, like, magicians were a big thing there, like, because they had all seen them, and it was really hard to win over the crowd because they'd seen those tricks before. Did you kind of get that feeling? Right. If you, I did a little bit of my, for my prep and the research. Yeah, because there's no television, there's no other entertainment, and people seen plays when they, you know, the people do Shakespeare's mm-hmm. and stuff. And magicians were one of the gimmicks where they go around, and, you know, nobody communicated with each other. So you could pretty much do the same trick over and over again. Well, eventually that gets communicated. So, and it does play a part in the movie, the birdcage bit that everybody knew. Right. And in fact, they even show it. One of the word, you know, magicians show your trick and it's dead. But um, yes, it was very much a popular entertainment out west when people traveled. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I really realized that. I mean, magicians have always been around, but I kind of felt like they've always been how they are today where, you know, oh, you go to Vegas and see a magician or maybe if you're in a big city, you might see a street performer. But that was like the extent of it. But I mean, these were actually big shows that would sell like, you know. Yeah, the, the, uh, the classical ones. And in fact, they don't they don't surprise you is the bird of the cage one and the magic bullet one, which have been around since the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. Um, with the movie of magic, um, and I don't know, how would you describe the movie? How would you try? Is it a horror movie? Is it a sci-fi? Is it action? It's definitely a mystery of some form, right? right yeah. Like, uh, it's not your traditional mystery in who, who done it, who murdered them, but there's a, there's an air of mysticism around it and an air of not, of almost you're trying to figure out the trick because you have. I mean, not to jump too far into it, you have these two magicians competing who are essentially doing on face value the same sort of trick, but they're doing it very differently. And, and you're trying to figure out how both of them are doing it. I mean, I guess we kind of know on uh, Hugh Jackman character how he's doing it because we watch his development and his uh, discovery of his yes. apparatus that he uses. But we still like uh, up until the end, assuming that you don't uh, do any foreshadowing or guessing or anything like that, you don't have any factual evidence of how uh, the other character is doing it, the uh, the Christian Bale's character, Mr. Borden. Very much movie, and I think if you've seen it before, if you haven't seen it, you please stop, because we don't, you don't understand what you're talking about. But um, very movie, very much the theme of obsessing, rivalries, very a toxic of not mm-hmm. appreciating what you have and trying to outdo a person is revealing it could be a very toxic <laughs> environment right, for you, right? Yes, definitely. Um, it's it's nice to be good at something, but if you have to outdo something or let the com- competition, it's healthy, but an obsession to beat somebody is not healthy. Right. At all. right. And with, with these two magicians, too, there was certainly a rivalry going that was – it very quickly – uh, went beyond just a professional rivalry. It was personal. I mean, at, at the, I mean, it's not too far into the movie where we see kind of the initiating act of what causes this. But you know, uh, it, it definitely wasn't just. It was obsession all the way through from that point on. The um, nice little thing is in the beginning of the movie where uh, Hugh Jackman's character and Chris Bale both are working with another magician. They're participating. Um, that magician that does the water trick with the lady, his name mm-hmm. is Ricky Jay. He's actually an accomplished magician himself. Oh, really? In real life, he's an accomplished magician, and he has a highest clout in the magician fraternity, Ricky Jay does. Um, he was also in another movie about Karnar's magician called House of Games. I think if you ever get an idea, if you like this kind of concept of magic and connery and scams, you will definitely love House of Games. 
House of Cards. House of Cards, yeah. I think it's called House of Games or House of Cards. I think House of Cards is a Netflix show. Then it has to be House of Games. All right. It has to be. Yeah. House of Games. I'll have to to check that out. One of the things that I really liked, and it doesn't actually surprise me that that guy is very uh, well-known in that industry because this movie, the cast, is amazing. Like, I really love how many uh, great actors and actresses they have uh, in this film. Right. It kind of goes back to what surprises me on how it kind of got the the reception that it did when it came out. Well, I think it's not a very, like, Illusionist plays on feelings and emotions of long lost. This is a very intellectual movie. Yeah. It's not, a, yeah. even though there are some emotional base, this is a very much, in fact, even dares in the beginning, are you watching, and the first thing you hear is, are you watching closely or are you paying attention? Mm-hmm. Which is a very much a dare to throughout the whole movie make sure you are paying attention the entire time so you can get it before we reveal it to you right i think that's what kind of dampen it down a little bit for people like oh i don't want to sit and watch something that's going to entertain my brain rather than my heart (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that is that is a good point uh and i feel like a lot of movies that are that way uh, they have a little harder time sometimes uh, on their initial response. Usually they'll, right. they'll pick up on the back end, but I think uh, people just get used to going to see movies to, you know, be, especially nowadays, to be in your face, actiony, you know, plot thin. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I say the part of the one that's very makes you think is Annihilation, is a very intellectual sci fi. So, yes. Um, yeah, it's called House of Games. So if you're ever interested, um, Definitely check it out, 1987. The other one. So, obviously, this was a, another movie from Christopher Nolan. How familiar are you with Christopher Nolan before we get moving on? Um, I couldn't sit here and say, oh, yeah, these movies are from Nolan, but uh, usually I end up having seen them. So, <laughs> if right. you say a movie name from him, I've probably seen it. But, uh, yeah, um, beginning his career, he did a small independent film in 1999 and 2000 called The Following Simple Black and White Movie about people who entertain themselves simply by following people and um, trying to dare each other not to get caught. Even facting one, you know, like maybe you want to break into somebody's house and find out who they are. But it was simply called The Following, people who just follow other people because their lives are so empty that they want to look for somebody who has a better fulfilling life. Mm-hmm. And then from there, he did the movie Memento. Yep, that and one that, I saw. That one, that one's pretty much memories and who are into identity. After Memento, he did one called um, Insomnia with Al Pacino and Robert Williams. After that, he got assigned to do Batman Begins, and then he's doing this one. So simply after, after Batman Begins... This is the one that gets sandwiched between The Dark Knight and Batman Begins. This is one movie that before those two movies got made. <laughs> Man, time passes really fast. I didn't realize that that came out at the same time. that the, I've, For some reason in my head, those Batman movies uh, are later than right? uh, yes, yeah. Prestige. <laughs> and it was really weird when they did Batman Begins because nobody was familiar with Christopher Nolan. Nobody was familiar, familiar with Christian Bale. But after they did this mm-hmm. movie, obviously that... They said, "Well, you both can carry the movie." In fact, a lot, you know, they carry. They brought some people that from Batman Begins, like Michael Caine, and a lot of his crew. Christopher Nolan always works with the same kind of crew. His wife is one of the producers of the movies, and always is. Mm-hmm. So, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that. Well, I think uh, Christian Bale. I mean, he's had some bigger movies uh, before here, right? I, th- I don't think he was uh, not not well known. You know what I mean? I mean. Obviously, no, he, he, I mean, this is what, like, Batman Begins is the first time he ever had headlined a movie, carried it with his own name. He's been in other movies like Velvet, really? Underground, and um, American, Psych- American Psycho, and then he kind of went away, did supporting roles, and then this was the big one, Batman Begins. Then after that, um, he started being headlines, making big mucks, yeah. I didn't realize that was the movie that, that put him on the, the top bill. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right. That's interesting. So uh, watching it, obviously, uh, let's talk about Tesla in Colorado Springs. Uh, did he really have an assistant? You know, he definitely went to Colorado Springs. So it's kind of interesting how the movie takes a lot of facts from Nikola Tesla's life and kind of rearranges it, right, to make uh, an interesting uh, movie. Right. So, this is not based on a true story. This is borrowing right. from true events. Yeah. 
So he was in Colorado Springs in 1899, and he actually uh, he went there because the town had already uh, had this uh, AC power, this generator powering the town, and they promised him free electricity to run his experiments. Uh, okay. So he went there, and and he he did have the ideas for like uh, wireless lighting. Uh, and he explained it, and there's rumors that he had stuff work, not quite to the extent where they do in the movie. If you remember, they put the lights in the ground, and they just light right. up uh, like big grids of them. I don't think it was ever on that like level. Like that scale, right? Right. Yeah. And I know he had lots of assistants, but I, th- there's nobody's like ever named as being like an, an important assistant or whatever. I really right. liked the guy that they chose in this movie because I feel like that personality would be the person who would be able to actually work with Tesla. So I think they did a good job there. But there's nobody like named that I, I would say, oh, yeah, that's definitely done after this guy, at least that I've been able to find. So in this movie, they hired uh, David Bowie to play Nicholas Tesla. And based on research, I think he does a remarkable interpretation of Tesla, right? He's not a very much a social person. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, probably like a high introvert, very much doesn't really like to do the small talk. (laughs) It's actually really interesting in that uh, Tesla kind of has a uh, different personalities, right? So first of all, I am 100% convinced that he was definitely on the spectrum. Uh, He absolutely had OCD. I think he might have been a little bit autistic uh, just because of personality traits that he had. And for a long time when he was younger, he he was actually a socialite. He went out and he spent all of his money on the best clothing, uh, the best cigars, the best alcohol, ate out every night. You know, for a while after the AC, he was a right. life of the party because he spoke like seven or eight languages and he would recite poetry from memory in different languages. So there was a while where he was very social, but right. like just at a certain point, he just cut off. And it was right before he went to Colorado Springs, I think. And he just became like that very antisocial hermit kind of guy. You know, he went from popular scientist to mad scientist, right? Right. Uh, and, and I think they, it's interesting. I, if I'm thinking here, like, who am I going to get to play Nikola Tesla? I would never think David Bowie because that's not <laughs> what David Bowie's like known for acting, right? But mm-hmm. it is a perfect casting. I really liked the way he played him. Very reserved, very much why you know, very much in tune with the world. But like, I think what it does is sign that people are comfortable with changing the world once, but if you do it three times, they think you're crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that is like, I, that is a great quote. I'm not sure if that's a real quote or not, but yeah. uh, it, it's definitely on par with his life. So, if you want to just give it out, you since you're the guest, you want to give it, explain how the introduction of Tesla gets part of this movie. So how they how they bring Tesla into the movie? Yeah. Yeah, so essentially, uh, I believe it was uh, Robert Angier. Is that how you pronounce his last name? Hugh Jackman's character. Yes, Hugh Jackman's character. So he gets his hands on a journal from uh, Borden, uh, from his assistant Olivia, I think. Is that 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 time that he got it? Uh, Anyways, he he has his hand on the the journal, and he's going through it and tracing back, trying to figure out how uh, Borden's done this magic trick he calls the, uh, the transported man. The transport of man, yes. Yeah, and so he's trying to figure out because he, they're looking at it and, it, and it's not a, a double. It's the exact same guy. You know, Borden's missing three fingers. He comes through, so he's, he's convinced it's not a double. And so he's trying to figure out what his trick is. And inside this journal, it talks about going to Colorado Springs. Uh, and I, I can't remember if, yeah, the keyword for deciphering the journal was Tesla, right? Yes. That's how he got Tesla's it's name? It's just simply said, yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yep. It's so that's kind of what set it all up is. And so he kind of went on. I mean, it was when he he kind of scammed him into giving him the, the keyword for that journal uh, by burying his assistant, essentially. Yep. Uh, and and the guy said that the keyword for deciphering the journal is also the answer to his trick. So that kind of set him on the path of, of going down there and, and heading out to Colorado Springs to meet with Tesla. So. So, Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale are rivals competing, and uh, Christian Bale's character has a brand new show. He has a brand new trick. Hugh Jackman goes, and he's just completely galvanized. He doesn't know how he did it. He has He's completely obsessed with it. He wants to know because he's a magician. He hasn't figured out another magician's act. He wants to know how he does it. Michael Caine has a, a suggestion. That's not good enough for him. He wants to do it better. And, you know, of course, he, with the rivalry, takes his notebooks. And these is part of the book, too. It's based on a book of rivalry diaries, a, dur- uh, 
um, Kristen Bale's character's journal entries. Mm-hmm. And he comes across that the key to all of it is Tesla, the transporter man, which is physically impossible because he's in one cabinet door and within nanoseconds comes out the other side. It defeats physics, right? Right. Yeah, completely defeats physics. And it's the trick that he wants to know how he could do it. And so... Uh, he goes to Tesla, and Tesla's like, well, all right, what's it, what does he do with the hat? I remember if they t- try it out with the hat first or some kind of cat. Is that- yeah, so he comes in, and essentially at this stage, what uh, Hugh Jackman's character doesn't know in this stage in Tesla's life, he's lost funding. Uh, Colorado Springs, uh, essentially in real life what happened is he was running his huge experiment as his beginnings of his idea for his wireless uh, – uh, system, world right. system to give free energy to people. That's a real thing he was trying to do. But he ended up setting the the generator for Colorado Springs on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Colorado Springs is like, you know what? You're, you've outstayed your welcome. Also, all that free energy that we promised you, here's the bill for it. <laughs> is this so, where he, he left a, like a suitcase? Please don't open it up. It's dangerous. And it was just nothing. I remember that story of skipping on a bill and he lives a suitcase uh, it might be. I yeah. actually never found any proof that he did or did not pay that bill. You know, okay. I'm okay if he didn't because they promised him free energy free for energy, being there. Man. But uh, yeah, so that was what was really going on. He's at the end of it. He didn't have any uh, financiers for his work. That kind of stuff is expensive. So essentially, he took this large amount of money from uh, Hugh Jackman's character to build this machine. Uh, and he said he could do it. Uh, and so... His first demonstration of it was with uh, his hat, his top hat, essentially, his gentleman's hat, whatever you want to call it. Right. Uh, so he set it down and it, the electricity from the Tesla ball goes and it's zapping around everywhere and it's striking the hat and then it stops and just nothing's happened. And so, uh, you know, Hugh Jackman's character gets pissed off. He thinks he's been cheated out <laughs> of money here. Uh, and he's like, Nikola Tesla just kind of pushes him out the door. I'll figure it out, whatever, whatever. And so he comes back weeks later. Uh, and this time they figure it must just be that they need to do it with organic material. So that's when they take the assistant's cat. And I'm not sure as the assistant if I would have let them take my cat. No, right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's gonna, where you're going to send it. Right. Right. And so they do it again and uh, the, the cat's just sitting there. So, again, they think it's failed at that point. So, uh, yep. And prior to this, uh, when the Christian Bales and Hugh Jackman were actually buddies, and Michael Caine suggested go see this magician, and you tell me how he does it. And it's a big, long foreshadow of the whole story because it's a very old Asian man doing this trick of all of a sudden this gigantic was a, a fish bowl with water yeah, a in it, in a fish in a fish in it. And they sit there and go, "Well, he had to have it in his legs the entire time." Which mm-hmm. is actually a true magician used to do this. Um, the writer for this uh, movie, his name is uh, Jonathan Nolan. It's Christopher Nolan's brother. He wrote the screen for screenplay for okay. this. And researching, he discovered this guy was an ancient Chinese guy would do this magic trick. And they didn't realize how he did it until he died that he was actually the most fit, muscular man. He hired, right. It was his entire act, his entire life, playing this old, feeble man. But all he throughout his whole life walked around with this fishbowl between his legs, and his legs were just built to do it. Mm-hmm. And they put the sh- foreshadowing as they walk him back to the carriage, as Christopher uh, Bale's character says, "Is this isn't all an act? He's mm-hmm. still in that, it." That is the illusion. The illusion isn't the fishbowl. The illusion is that he's this old, decrepit man, and so yeah. nobody can figure out why he's doing it or how he's doing this thing because you'd have to be strong to do it. I, I, that's yeah. probably my favorite part of the whole movie, and it is. Yeah. It's a giant foreshadow, like you said, of, of what's actually going on here. So yeah, and, and it's it's a very much different of how you perceive magicians. You know, Hugh Jackman's character is very much the presenter, a showman, right? He doesn't mm-hmm. really care about the act, but he knows how to sell it very well where Christian Bale knows how to come up with very good magic tricks, but he has no idea how to sell it. And if you brought yeah, those two no guys, stage presence. No stage presence. But if you bring those two guys together, if they would work together, would have been a dynamite team. But right. since they're competing rivalries, that they both pick on the, each other's weaknesses, that you have this not very happy ending at the end. And that is actually what, you know, you go through this whole thing thinking, man, if you guys could just stop and come together... 
you would be like the best magician show that has ever existed. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, uh, I think I don't think we actually talked about what happened that was the kind of the core driver that I mean, they had a a sort of half friendly competition thing at the beginning when they're working together. Right. Right. That kind of that broke apart when they were doing the magic trick because the lady in the water they were working with was actually a a Hugh Jackman character. His wife, uh, Julia, I think was her name. Uh, and so they always did this rope tie, this regular slip knot, and yep. it would keep falling off. And, and, uh, so Christian Bale's character was always suggested, what would we do this other rope? And, and the magician that they were working for was like, no, or no, I think it was, was it the magician they're working for? Or was it, uh, uh, Michael, Ka- uh, Michael Caine's character, Michael uh, Caine, tell Cutter. him, you know, be careful what you do on stage. I mean, you're kissing your right. wife's ankles. Oh, can, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So but yeah, they're worried that the rope was going to swell and and they would yeah. and she wouldn't be able to actually get out of it and uh, and uh, and that's kind of what happened, right? Yep. I mean, they he, he says throughout the movie he doesn't know what knot he tied, but I think they make it pretty obvious when they're doing it that you know both her and he agree that that's what the knot that they're going to tie. So that is, a, is the catalyst for their competing rivalry. I don't think that's so much in the book, but in the movie, it's very much a staple with them that never goes away. That mm-hmm. keeps them their friction going um outside of the movie uh do you remember any other i mean what's what was your kind of your favorite mag- magic trick that during the movie i have one that's outside the whole the whole transport of man is the one but there's another one i think i entertain it like is it the cage one remember the cage sophisticated one with uh hugh jackman when he's built in his suit oh yeah the yes. uh that's the one for the bird isn't it well, they do a, a different variation of the bird, right? Instead, right of at killing, the at the end, yeah, yes, and then of course, I think that was my favorite to understand that a magician has to play a lifestyle rather than just being a magician on the stage, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting because when you see him with that particular trick up on stage, he's just a guy up on stage. You don't notice like how I mean that was a for especially for like eighteen ninety nine. That's a very uh, complex mechanical system to have developed, all to just pull the bird out of the cage, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so and, even it, it's all about no matter how much work it is, if long as the magic trick works, I don't care, right? You know. Mm-hmm sit there and how much how you can breathe or how long you can hold still but you always and it's a nice thing i never noticed but it's always weird how magicians in their workshop always have the windows closed you can never look mm-hmm. at right? yeah <laughs> I, you know what's interesting uh there's a lot of tv shows out now uh that deal with like uh da vinci right as a inventor yeah and and they always have kind of his shop. And it really reminds me of a lot of the way that the shops for the magicians work. Uh, you've got just like tables and stuff all over, cluttered with tools and half-made jigs everywhere. Uh, I find it interesting that there, it feels like there's a parallel there between the mindset between, you know, the early inventors like like Da Vinci and, and magicians. Well, there's a little bit of, I mean, I think we go back, I think magic, as we know it now, comes from ancient Greece. I think that's the oldest that we can decipher, right? Mm-hmm. I think it comes from ancient Greece, and I think the Romans entertained it. And as a stage, I think even the, you have to use a little bit of science, because I think the, one of the oldest magic tricks the Greeks would use was based on the earth and the rotation of the sun, that the doors will open Right at the right time that the sun will go right into a building, every thought it was a magic trick, was simply using mechanics. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Yeah, that is pretty cool. I mean, that you a lot of the stuff that we think is illusion, and even some of the stuff, I don't know if you've ever been to any of the quote-unquote vortex areas uh, in the States. There's one in uh, what, Oregon? There's, there's one in Oregon. There's one in Montana. Uh, so kind of a quick aside, I went to the one in Montana and it's all stuff that's optical illusion based off of usually you're on some sort of a gradient on the ground that you can't perceive but is affecting what you're looking at. Okay. And what really got me was the guy's like, oh, yeah, we've had a physicist out here from uh, the University of Idaho, the professor. He gave some name. I don't remember what it was. And he's telling me this. And I'm looking at him I'm like. I just graduated from the University of Idaho in the Department of Physics. It's not a very big department. That guy does not exist. (laughs) (laughs) 
maybe pick a farther uh, university from you then. Well, we, but, uh, it's it's a trick on the mind, right? Mm-hmm. The vortex area, right? It's actually exactly watch a bowling ball go up. It's not really going up. It's just your perceptions. Right. The yeah. whole point being is is they take you have to actually have an understanding of engineering and science in order to do those tricks and those illusions to fool people. So, I think there's yeah. definitely a parallel there. Well, you think if like magicians now they have to have some kind of idea of mechanical engineering, right? I mean, you have to figure out something to do. Yeah, definitely the I mean, at least the stage performers. I'm not so sure on like the street performers. I think a lot of that's just sleight of hand and, and misdirection. Yeah. Uh, because they don't usually have enough area, I guess, to really have any sort of mechanical ideas going on. But definitely the stage magicians. Well, I, the, the greatest magician, and it's an interesting footnote, is Houdini. And one of his last, and John from Jonathan Nolan wrote the screenplay, talked about, and he wished he could put in the movie somehow. But Houdini's one of his last tricks that he would do. He get on stage and he goes. I'm going to get a group of men on here. We're going to put a brick wall right down the middle of the stage and divide it in mm-hmm. half. I'm not going to lead the stage. You think I'm going to disappear, and I won't. And he will have a bunch of, like, maybe 15 guys all wearing the same uniform and hired masons, you know, start building the wall. And they'll be very loud and noisy. And then you watch him build the brick wall, you realize, oh, well, he's gone. Where is Houdini? And eventually, when they get done, he would eventually, they all get done with the, the brick. Everybody realized he just went to the other side. And with everything closed off, and they didn't realize how anybody, how he did it, it simply was, as it was going through the busy part, he would get into the same outfit as him and actually participate in the bricklaying. <laughs> and then he would hop over the other side, and then he'd take it off in front of everybody. And then he would just stand there. And like, how did you do that? And well, he really, what he realized was, is, when you get more than 15 people in an area, people cannot sit and watch 15 people do their same, you know, at the same time. It's too much. Mm-hmm. And your brain cancels out what a lot of other people are doing, especially the quieter ones. Right. And so that's how and you got away with it. It's this kind of it's two things that really this makes me think about. First of all, is something that they said in the movie, too, is once you figure out how a trick is done, it's almost a disappointment in how simple it was. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, all he did was put on some other clothes and work with them and then, you know, get in that way. That is very uh, anticlimactic. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing was uh, they they demonstrate this all the time. They've got videos you can watch on YouTube. I think there's a show on Netflix about different types of stuff. But of uh, perception and how you perceive and they'll do things or like hey look at this uh video of these people and count how many times they pass the football back back and forth and so you do that and you're counting that and there's stuff going on and then they come back and said all right well uh, it doesn't matter how many times they passed it did you notice the guy in the bear suit walking across the screen behind <laughs> them and you're like what no they played again and sure enough there's a guy right. walking across the screen in a bear suit like it's all about you know that's how powerful uh, directing somebody's attention to something specific can be. Yep, and it, it very much, especially for movies, it, you, there's a lot of mistakes that you gloss over simply because movies are good. Mm-hmm. And it's simply because of perceptions that you're focused on a movie that you don't really focus on the big plot hole in the movie or the big, you know, misunderstanding. In fact, even when they dare you in the movie, are you watching closely? And you're just going to mm-hmm. be at the end, be surprised because you weren't watching closely. <laughs> <laughs> or you're watching closely to this thing that you felt that they were implying you should watch closely. And then meanwhile, over here, something else was going on. <laughs> right, yes. And it's a wonderful how that's how magic works. Now, do you watch the show, uh, the Penn and Teller show of how they figure out magicians do it? Um, I watch one that's called Fool Us. Is that the yeah, one? Yeah, that's one the one I'm referring yeah. to. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know. Do you, can you figure those out? Do you watch those a couple of times? And you can figure them out. I I've only watched a couple of them, and I've not been able to figure them out. I feel like there's like industry knowledge, like you know we were talking about earlier, and so right. uh, I, and it amazes me when they are actually fooled. Uh, and what, it ticks me off, but I understand it. It's like, okay, but now I want to know how you did it. <laughs> like, I know. How right. did you do it? And then they just walk off the stage with their FU trophy. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> I feel like there's a hidden meaning there. <laughs> I don't, what was the greatest magic trick you ever saw? Oh, man. You know, it's kind of dumb, but for the longest time, uh, 
it's not even that great of a trick, but you see like, I don't know, Chris Angel, I think was, and David Blaine were big on doing it, the card on the inside of a window. Uh, yeah, when, from, they throw, when they throw, throw the whole deck? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, to this day, assume there's just somebody on the inside who just slaps it on somewhere that is out of camera or that you don't see. But I don't know why, for the longest reason, that really <laughs> intrigued me. Uh, so I, maybe that's anticlimactic, but I don't know. That was it. That was the, the one that I always loved. Not the song in half? <laughs> no, I never... <laughs> That you know, even as a kid, yeah, uh, I I was fairly confident how that worked initially because obviously they're not really sawing somebody in half, so there just had to be some bending and contusion around because you see contortionists all the time at that you know, yeah. So that's I always assumed that that was going on, but it was the ones that weren't immediately apparent to me that always like, wow, what's going on there? I like the casting of uh, Scarlett Johansson as the beautiful assistant to distract both of them, even on mm-hmm. stage, but to distract them from their main, <laughs> main right. point. Which I it, forgot she was in this movie until I watched it again, honestly. Really? Really? Yeah. Right, uh, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of hers, and then I went, we saw she was in it. I'm like, oh, how did I not remember she was in this movie? <laughs> right. As the wonderful assistant, I like how they tried her on. You know, you can't if you can't be in this cabinet in two minutes without breathing, you, you don't get the job. Yep. Or something like that. But um and it's a nice play of I think Michael Caine being the conscience they say it the conscientious character, Michael Caine's character is very much aware of the consequences of these two guys com- combating to each other. Right. And he wants her you know, wants them to patch up, but he doesn't really know how to turn it off from them. You know, one of the things that actually surprised me the most with this movie was actually how much I think uh, Michael Caine's character, John Cutter, actually knew of what was going on between them. So if you remember yeah. at the very, very end when he's holding the daughter and he comes back and for uh, uh, the brother, I can't remember. Anyways, yeah. but he seems to be much more involved in what's going on on both sides than I ever realized. I don't know if you kind of got that too. Yeah, he's very much the conscious. He's very much aware of what's going on um, the whole time. Even though he won't, they, even though they won't listen to, you know, their reasonings and everything, and he's he, and he, in fact, he tells Hugh Jackman, "Your trick is fine. I mean, you're mm-hmm. winning, you're making money on it, and right. it's a wonderful trick." And to Hugh Jackman's not enough. He's still not doing it as good as the other guy, and it's still well, why, why beat you up? You're doing a marvelous job, and to the point that even the other guy sabotages him, which what's one of the great sabotages of all time. That was just going to say, uh, I said earlier that something was my favorite, but I, I correct myself. My favorite part of the entire movie was the, uh, the taking over of his magic trick in the, the s- middle of his thing. Where Christian Bale sat- he sabotages it twice, but the second one was marvelous. Yes. Yeah. So Hugh Jackman goes into, uh, to one door and instead of his double coming up in the other, Christian Bale comes up in the other <laughs> with, uh, with his double, uh, tied up above the stage. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, I would have, paid extra money to have seen a show like that in real life that would have been amazing <laughs> so how would you theoretically how would you be able to do the transporter man the way tesla designed it how would you do pull that star trek thing off you know this uh, actually opens up a whole uh, conversation about uh you know the transporter like yeah. y- you gotta think that it's got to work the same way that like it does in star trek right where it breaks you down atom by atom it sends you over through some form of rf or or light wave and then right. reconstructs you uh but in order to do that you don't actually need to send over actual material. You just send over the information and you reconstruct it if you can do that you can reconstruct by atoms right so it's, yep. you're you're creating a new body, and no matter how you get a, around that, you killed that first one when you deconstructed it, right? So I don't yes. think that you can clone it the way that they do in the movie, where you're perfectly fine and just this another one that comes around. I think you have yeah. to deconstruct it completely to get the information in exactly how those atoms are apart if you're creating an exact clone, right? Yeah. So, uh, so he- I don't... So the idea of you, you can just simply send the information. Sure. That's the easiest part of this whole entire thing, right? Okay. Uh, We can send information through light waves now. That's not a problem. Right. That's how we're doing this podcast. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. The, the, the actual, the, the two technologies that need to, to come about to do this is being able to read 
the entire genetic code and somehow incorporate the consciousness, the memories into that, which we don't know how to do right now. And then the recombining structure to create an actual living life form. We can take stem cells that are already living and we yep. can modify them to make a thing. But And we can get things into uh, nucleic acids and stuff, which are the building blocks of life. But crossing that point from those nucleic acids into an actual biological being with thought and memory, that's that's really the technology that doesn't exist right now for this process. Right, especially if you can send memory so you have yourself sent. Because if you don't send a memory, you're just sending, what, the material. Right. Right, you're just <laughs> an empty shell. Right, right. <laughs> So it, that would probably be the simplest way to do it. Just have the figure out the information and then able to at the destinations um, be able to read it. Right, essentially. Yeah. And and like I said, that's the, really the technology that we don't have is being able to build. I mean, I guess you could do some sort of super slow. I guess uh, are you familiar with uh, like altered carbon? Yeah. Uh, the way that yeah. they do the the 3D bio printing of bodies in that. Yeah, if you want to exp just give a couple seconds to explain Arto, um, the show Altered Carbon with yeah, the so whole sleeving and everything. Altered Carbon is a great show, and I'm reading the book now, and it's pretty good. Uh, but essentially, it's this idea that your whole everything is is embodied in what they call this stack that's this technology device implanted at the base of your neck and your spine. And so you can take that information, you can transfer it into any body. You can make a clone of yourself. You can have somebody else's body if they're not currently inhabiting it. Uh, but one of the things that they're able to do, super expensive, is you get essentially a 3D printer you can put in your home and print yourself out a new body for yourself. I mean, only the super rich people or the you know right. corrupt people have them. But so it's 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 kind of that same mentality. If you're able to figure out a way to accelerate the growth of stem cells, maybe yep. uh, you could do that. Uh, that's the only thing I got right now, though. <laughs> but it's a great concept. I like the idea. The show is kind of gets a little action, but the idea is very interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you want to explain to me how to would the theory, you know, um, entanglement be part of the teleporting or like the spooky action from a distance? I don't think you have to get on a quantum level. So there's, yeah. I mean, quantum theory is very complex, right? Oh, and definitely. it's very hard, hard to break that down. A lot of the biggest thing that people uh, make a confusion with with quantum entanglement is that there's some way to send material that way, which yeah, there, I just, I just there's not, to, right? I just want you to clarify it. So that that whole theory of entanglement is not be part of the. Yeah I, yeah, I don't think it would because essentially you're you're only transporting information and specific information. You're transporting the state of spin of of a particle, essentially of a of you know a electron on one side with the other. When you disturb it, you are no longer linked, and so essentially the act of reading that breaks that connection, and then you can no longer transport that information. It's kind of a one shot deal, at least as it is right now. So I don't think you need to go. I mean, the communicating between the two ports. I mean, you could do that with RF with radio frequencies that, that yep. we, like I said, we do that all day long, every day. So the technology difference there that we need is really on the, on the ends, the breaking down and the building back up again. So I don't know. Do you want to, you all your, you want all your atoms to be broken down? You want to go through it? No, thank you. Uh, I would never once do that. Like I said, I feel very strongly that you are murdering somebody and creating a new being on the other side with the same, uh, memories you know, that person that you create is going to feel like they're the same person. But uh, yeah. I, I you're no one's ever going to convince me that you didn't just murder me. <laughs> well, would it be something like a duplication that you lose information? You keep repeating it kind of like a co photocopying like you simply. I mean, yeah, to an extent. I mean, yeah. whenever you're doing anything, even our bodies, which are are great at doing it as far as functionality and maybe not necessarily an accuracy have make mistakes. That's how mutations and stuff happen when your genes, you know, yeah. when you multiply and you split into new cells, that's why human beings die, you know, at the end of the, of their lifespan because they're not uh, developing these exact perfect copies. So if life can't do it on its own, I mean, when you make a copy of something on your computer, sometimes occasionally it's rare these days you get a corruption in your file. It doesn't quite copy. Even when we're dealing with, you know, I deal with telemetry uh, in the aerospace and space community. When you're sending over information, you have error correction. So, you know, the very yeah. basic one is a sum check where you're checking your your numbers to make sure that all of those numbers transferred properly. 
So errors happen, but that's a given. So I think absolutely, if you continue to do this, the best you will ever be is perfect, and you're not always going to be perfect. So you have a degradation over time. And probably they sh- probably they showed in the movie it probably played a part on his psychosis. Do you think they keep doing it and doing it? That is not a connection I originally made until you just said it. Uh, <laughs> I think that's probably accurate. Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 best case scenario you could hope for, I think, is that you're losing a little bit of your mental abilities at that state. But I mean, worst case scenario is you come out some sort of deform deformation on the other end, right? Right. So yeah, I think that's probably that probably does. You know, you just kind of blew my mind a little. I, I'm looking at the movie now in a different uh, perspective because originally I thought it was just personality flaw to be that obsessed about something, but it could have been, you know, well, he's it, making it, it worse. It could every possibly. Time. I don't know, but. Obviously, his psychosis goes drastic afterwards, right? It's mm-hmm. Even worse, unless it's based on his successes. But yeah, I, I would perceive that it probably, if you're able to do it and you continually to do it, that it's mm-hmm. very dangerous, right? Right. Um, you know, I don't think that uh, Christian Bell's character was really any less uh, uh, that kind of psychosis. He had just... I mean, in order to, I don't think we ever actually talked about how Christian Bale's trick worked, right? No, yeah, uh, you to, I'm, yeah, I'm looking it up, but yes, please explain. So, with Christian Bale's side, it was just he had a twin brother uh, that yeah. they were doing their trick with. That he, it was like you were saying with the foreshadowing of the the other magician who just lived his life like he was a cripple when he was actually really strong. They lived their life as one person, and whoever wasn't actively being, you know, Alfred Borden was his assistant and i can't remember his assistant's name i don't know if you have that uh, uh michael Caine's uh not uh, no i can't remember i can't remember christian bale's assistant's yeah, name but essentially it was beard and stuff and so they were always living and that's kind of you find out why he had all the social issues with his wife and his girlfriend they're actually one brother loved one and one brother loved the other and that was a, a recurring theme is do you right. really love me today right yeah the big uh, foreshadow of no you don't really do today that's sad Right. You have a sense of awfulness. Like you actually think that he's being a jerk. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what I mean, you've got to be a certain level of not completely right in your head to be able to live your entire life like that. Not just one of them, both of them. And I find it interesting, yeah. even by the end of the movie where we find that out, you still most people look as at Alfred Borden as a single person, even though you know that there are two physical people playing yep. that character. Right. So, yes. Um, and also, I think at the end, remember what he's going to do? Seventy-two shows. I think my, uh, I'm referencing Hugh Jackman said I'm going to just do seventy-two shows, and I think based on I think it's an investment rule of seventy-two, right? You double your money at a certain amount of mm-hmm. time. So I think that was a play on words. If you really think about it, seventy-two and you double your double the person, double your money, and it was a nice. That's why he's doing seventy-two. Isn't like a little bit of a cute kind of a interesting part <laughs> that you can find out that's why that if everybody because i always went why would they say 72 shows and that's it and he's like well i think it's, it's the rule of 72 <laughs> <laughs> the rule of 72 that's why i don't ask questions <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is interesting i don't know i uh i really find this whole movie interesting just because of the two personalities between the two magicians. And it's interesting that you, we take something that really should just be a standard thing. At the end of the day, the trick to Christian Bale's magic trick was a double. Like it, like Michael Caine said from the beginning, there was nothing magical, nothing mysterious about it. But somehow in the obsession of finding it, Hugh Jackman's character actually created something that was magical, so to speak. Actually did magic, and it actually probably shouldn't even go on the path of doing this. Right. <laughs> and doesn't he look for support from – doesn't Hugh Jackman look for support from Nikola Tessa, and he doesn't get – but he gets shut out. Right? Yeah, I mean, Nikola, Nikola Tesla shuts him out initially, but he comes down, he comes back, and they make the thing. But at the end of it, he kind of – he's – on his outs right they they kind of make it more dramatic they set the the lab on fire and he's escaping and and they have that quote i've out i've outlived my stay here uh which is something he really did say really did uh (laughs) yeah (laughs) but then they had i i think they implied that like edison's men were out to get him and stuff like that which at this stage edison the fight between edison and tesla was mostly over but i think they kind of played on like uh the secret 
guy. And then they kind of made references to the lost uh, paperwork from Tesla, like the government man was coming to take his his Tesla papers. There's all sorts of minor nods to uh, cultural stories of Tesla, I think, towards the end of that story. All right. We're almost a couple out of time. Uh, you ever going to read the book? Yeah, uh, I want to. I want to. I've got a big stack of books. It's on my list. I haven't picked it up yet, but I do plan on it eventually. So we'll see what actually happens. I've got a lot of plans that don't always come through. So <laughs> yeah, it will be nice to know what happened after Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale did this movie. What the heck happened mm-hmm. to them afterward? <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Um, is uh, outside of the this is one of Nolan's movies and definitely put a staple to him after the, he did this one. He went on to the uh, Dark Knight. After the Dark Knight, he went to do Inception. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. You like Inception? Hijack, I do. Hacking into people's dreams. What I find most interesting about Inception is where it leaves the viewers at the end. Like any of those movies that have fans fighting over what the actual thing is that happened at the end, right? I find that yeah. interesting. So, but yeah, I was I was a fan of Inception. I thought it was a well written uh, movie. Um, and then after Inception, he did The Dark Knight Rises, and after that, he did Interstellar. I don't know. What about Interstellar? Did you? I am actually a really big fan of Interstellar too. Apparently, I'm just a really big Nolan fan, and I don't. I don't even realize <laughs> it. But I did like Interstellar. Uh, what I really liked most about that movie, honestly, was how well it played to our knowledge of science up until the end. Right. Well, yeah, you go into a planet that's really too close. I mean, it's almost having tidal waves because it's so close to its sun, mm-hmm. right? And what are the, the whole, whole day is like six hours long and then you age so fast. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, that's uh, relativity there. The closer you are to a gravity well, the slower time moves. So I really played that well. So if I remember Interstellar, somebody gives us the plans to go through the wormhole, right? Mm-hmm. We don't really know who it is. Something like, what, Contact? Yeah. Well, I mean, that Contact's another one of those movies where you're left at the end. Did this really happen or did she have a mental breakdown, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I kind of feel like they're implying towards the end of Interstellar that there might be some more, I don't know, spiritual answers to what yeah. was going on than, than scientific. Well, one of the things I have a minus with Interstellar is how close proximity all the events take place, even though he lives mm-hmm. on a farm and then all of a sudden right in his backyard – this has taken place, and then, yeah, it's very much, I don't know, you could do a research paper on the whole the, the psychology and philosophy. <laughs> you probably of, could, yeah. Interstellar. Um, and then he went on to do Dunkirk. Have you seen Dunkirk yet? I have not seen that one. You, very little dialogue. You probably, you probably it's one of those you have to pay attention. Yeah. Just like all the other movies that he does, you have to pay attention. <laughs> pay attention. So. That kind of reminds me of just because uh, Hugh Jackman's in both the uh, the fountain uh, was one that I really felt you had to pay attention to. Did you see that one? Long time ago. Yeah. yeah Darren Olbowski's uh, kind of a very much. Yeah. That was yeah. really weird. Yeah. I had to watch that one twice and I still didn't feel like I got everything that was going on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, Chris, that's all the time we got. I would say thanks for coming on. I really like having you coming on and talk about, you know, science and all that stuff and one of my favorite movies. Oh, yeah, it's great. Thanks for having me. Like I said, it's a great movie. It was a great tie-in for, for Tesla and, and the shows that I did on, on Dash Science for Nikola Tesla. Uh, but, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, before we go, um, if anybody's interested, what's the best thing that they could go find that's for uh, researching about Tesla? What would you endorse? Um, there's actually a book. Let me pull it out here. I have it sitting next to me. Uh, okay. It's called Tesla, the Wizard of Electricity by David J. Kent. Uh, what I really like about it is uh, the guy that goes through tries his best to separate out what is factually known and what is just uh, hearsay. Because okay. a lot of what we know about Tesla's personal life actually comes from his own writings. Uh, so you kind of got to take that for what it is. But the book has amazing graphics. It's done like an old timey newspaper print it's got great pictures and you've got drawings and stuff from tesla's original diaries in it yeah. uh, so it's a great book i definitely recommend that book all right and was it called tesla the wizard tesla the wizard of electricity wizard of electricity by david kent yes yeah we'll try to pick up a link and send everybody chris thank you very much for coming on again i always learn more 
coming on. I actually feel smarter every time I talk to you. <laughs> well, good. I do what I can, right? <laughs> All right. All right well, thanks. thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Thank you.